0: What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method that's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. What's up, everyone? You are here listening to Normalize It, the show where we speak about the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I've got no guests today, and this is going to be a little bit of a different show because Whenever I talk about the business of disability inclusion and accessibility, kind of forget that you're such a big part of that as well. You as the advocate who is going out there and championing your cause inside that organization, you as that lone developer who's trying to push through code uh, in an accessible way, you're just a specialist. You're an accessibility advocate or a consultant inside an organization, and you just can't get people to listen to you. I get it. I've been there, that's frustrating, right? I started off my advocacy journey back when I was at IBM and that was nine years ago, 2014. I was the solo accessibility developer at IBM Canada. And it was a really interesting time because at that time it was like, you know, the wild west. (laughs) Nobody had even heard of accessibility before. Uh, You go into meetings and there's tumbleweeds Going around when you say accessibility, people don't know how to spell it. Is there, you know, are there two C's or two S's? Like, yeah, there's both. And going into projects and being that lone accessibility guy, reminding people to care about accessibility, you know, in some ways, it's a lot different now because at least, right, at least it's not a foreign conversation to talk about accessibility. But to a lot of people, they still don't know anything about accessibility, right? We go into, uh, a team meeting and I don't really want to make this about accessibility or disability inclusion actually just want to take a pause there because I think advocacy itself can mean so much more it can mean so much more than just disability inclusion and whenever we need to care about other people when we're trying to move our our agenda and that sounds like something nefarious when we need to move something forward that's advocacy Right? When we need to try and pitch an idea, when we need to try and convince someone else to come to our side for a social movement, that's advocacy. So I think it's really important to remember that. So uh, back at IBM, to go back to that story, uh, I remember going to uh, different clients and saying, oh, hi, <laughs> You know, I'm the accessibility guy from IBM. Don't you want me in meetings? And people would shut the door on me. And in fact, I've got a funny story. I, I used to walk into meetings playing the Darth Vader music on my phone and you know it it, it sounds really ominous when you when you walk into a room and you think that you're going to get attacked or you're going to get you know the accessibility police has come in i've since realized that that's not the best way to approach accessibility inside organizations i moved off from ibm i went and became the senior technical lead for one of the big uh, accessibility consulting firms and I had 32 clients underneath me, 32 enterprise level clients underneath me. And all of a sudden I had to learn how to manage and speak to and convince people on how to tackle accessibility at scale, right? And we're talking, you know, large organizations with 10, 15, 20 development pods, releasing pods, things like that. So we're talking hundreds of developers would, you know, come to me and ask me questions about accessibility. And how do you approach that scale? Well, I mean, it all does boil down to communication skills and how do you hold authority and power and control? I mean, there's words in there that have negative connotations, but it really is about that. It's, it's about persuasion. It's about negotiation. It's about presentation skills. And I think these are lost in our current definition of what it means to be an advocate. And I had to give a lot of thought to that because recently when I gave a presentation at AccessU a few weeks back, this was where the conversation kept leading towards. It kept leading towards where do we go from here? I've got all this technical knowledge. I know what color contrast is about. I know how to add alt text in a way, but I just can't get my team to care. And that, like that, that in and of itself is where the root of this burnout comes from. I've spoken to a lot of advocates out there who are just stressed out, frustrated, burned out, um, fatigued on accessibility. And the funny thing is it goes both sides as well, right? I've spoken to a lot of stakeholders and, and leaders, decision-makers who also say that like, you know, I just can't seem to understand enough about accessibility. And I'm feeling now that I'm getting burned out. And this is happening in other advocacy realms as well. I'd like to say that at least in the realm of accessibility, we do have the technical, the technical piece to fall back on. So there's always going to have that conversation. We're always going to need that. But I'm thinking of other DEI initiatives of equality around diversity and equity and and, uh, inclusion that they're struggling. They're struggling too, to always be heard inside organizations too. I hear two questions there. One about overlay companies and one around HR Uh, around accommodations. I want to talk about those. I'm going to talk about strategy and tactics here. After working at that consulting company, I went and helped run the accessibility program at one of the largest banks here in Canada. And that was really a time when at scale, people would come to our team and start asking questions about how do I implement accessibility inside this organization? And that was a whole different skill as well. So when you look at the evolution, and I found this with a lot of guests that kind of joined the show, Nobody who comes on the show thinks small. And I challenge you as well to not think small anymore at all. Cuz when we think small when we're just thinking about ah oh, how do I get this, you know, how, how do I add labels to this thing? How how do I how do I get my my company just to permanently change the button colors in their design system? I actually challenge you to think bigger. Think further ahead. Think think at it, on a perspective of months and years instead of just This is the problem right now. And I get it. I get it. That's really, really hard. It takes a long time to shift our own mindset towards that. But that's kind of what leaders think of. And when I talk about leadership, when I talk about forward thinking, that resonates with the leaders that I go and speak to as well. Uh, Recently, I was on a call with, um, uh, with a team and I had a senior executive on the call. And their whole perspective on how to have conversations they're not having conversations about what's going on right now they're trying to tackle solutions or they're trying to tackle problems that that we don't even know we have yet like as clients the the client doesn't even know they have that problem yet and there's people out there who are already trying to solve for problems they're trying to go and find the problems that their client is going to have in three months eight months 12 months two years four years and those that, that that level is what i want to challenge our industry to start thinking of so I'm doing a bunch of research right now. I'm doing market research on organizations who already have accessibility programs put in place. And the most amazing thing has come out of that data so far. I would say out of all the people I've spoken to, only one has had a program that's older than four years. A four year old can't even, you know, is barely starting kindergarten at that point yet. Right. You know, their language isn't there yet. So sometimes these programs don't even have the language to start speaking about their advocacy yet. And that's hard. You know, in organizations that are really big with lots of silos, four years can go by and teams wouldn't have ever had to interact with each other at all. And I've seen that. I've seen that big organizations. I've seen, you know, the investment side of a bank or, you know, never interact with the global design team because that investment part of the bank has their own special design system. I've seen that before. So when you consider how many silos and how many barriers there are between your team and your advocacy and your program and another team and their advocacy and their programs, there are lots of bridges to cross before then. I got a fun uh, workshop idea that kind of came up. So actually I was, I was contacted by someone in the future. Check this out on screen here. I've got this newspaper article from the future. Why are they still using newspapers in the future? I don't know. This newspaper article says disability inclusion is still cool. From the year 20 xx whatever that means we did our best and it worked and i know what it's like to be an advocate the only person in an organization uh, who has to champion your cause going forward right you don't want to be the one who's always pestering someone you don't want to be labeled as the person who's too woke that was a really interesting comment that i received from somebody recently that was a pain point that they received where they were called too woke in their organization and that sucks that sucks you don't want to be the person who's annoying You don't want to be the person who's being told no, 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 all the time. You don't want to feel rejected or feel like an outcast or being booed. When you walk into a meeting, that is, that's, that's tough. There is still a lot of work to be done going back to that whole idea of there's only, it's only, you know, these programs have only been around for four years, four years, there's still so much work that has to be done to our own internal mindsets and our own internal initiatives and structure and plans, right? We don't have any idea even how to apply some of these methodologies and I think a lot of that starts with with us. I think that us as advocates we need to get better at structure we need to get better at at communicating because I think a lot of us fall into this into this um, career path or into this advocacy without any formal training. Hey, I know for me I learned on the job. I learned on the job I was not able to, uh, take any advocacy training or communication training. I just figured it out. And over time, it was like, okay, what do people constantly want to learn more about? What do they want to hear from me? It's really difficult getting that contact and getting buy in from stakeholders to get that support. That's tough. You're gonna have to bug them multiple times. That's the secret. That's the secret is that we have to get over our own internal inhibitions. And feeling sticky and uncomfortable, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to message my boss for the third time about getting some time on his calendar about accessibility. Yeah, that sucks. (laughs) There's no way around that, but you got to do it. We got to do, we got to find reasons and ways to get around it so that we. Can speak to accessibility. We can speak to our advocacy in a way that's meaningful and that will get it to stick. And I know what it's like, you know, I've had bosses, I've had, I've had stakeholders push meetings three, four times, or they just say simply, no, I don't have the time for this. And yeah, that's, that's unfortunate because that constant repetition of explaining the significance of our cause, once again, that takes us down a notch and that's like frustrating. It's exhausting. And it's weird because the biggest challenge that we are up against, it's not the no money question which we're going to get to the second half of this conversation is going to be around tactics and how do I actually get over some of these but some of the biggest challenges that we're up against is very human right it's apathy it's that feeling of Oh, I need to do the right thing again all the time right now. Like I'll, I'll put it in perspective here. I'm not sure how many people listening right now always go to the gym or always eat right or always make, you know, I or always signal when they're driving their car, right? That is, that is it's tough to do the right thing all the time. And sometimes this seems like one more thing that has to be put on a ma- manager and put on a leader. And so how do we ourselves work on our own mindset change to... To fix that, to be comfortable talking to leaders about this all the time. So let's talk a little bit about strategy because that's, I think, what everyone's here for. How do we actually talk to leaders about and stakeholders about getting that buy-in? So the first half of this conversation is really going to be around that strategy, which does include mindset, by the way. Uh, It just does. It's it's the only way to do it. And then we're going to talk about tactics. The difference between strategy and tactics. Strategy is much more of a plan, uh, much more longer distance, and the tactics are much more hands-on. How do we apply this externally? So whenever I'm going out and speaking to a stakeholder and I already see some comments here around, you know, how do I overcome an objection? How do I, how do I, uh, overcome this resistance that I'm getting from like, you know, my one boss who doesn't want to understand. And that is a very narrow objection. And I would challenge that the work that needs to be done to overcome those objections is actually had to. Has to start a couple months back or a couple weeks back. What are some of the key factors to consider when you're trying to gain buy in from stakeholders? Like, what do they care about right now? Stakeholders, someone at a director level or above, they're busy. It's not that they don't want to listen to you, it's that they only want to listen to things that are specific and pertinent and relevant. And I think that's kind of human nature as well, right? If if we're, if we're at that level and we're always speaking uh, to higher ups and and lower downs, you know, if everyone, uh, if we're at that level, we have a full calendar and you may have noticed that as well. You may have noticed that when speaking to a stakeholder, I've spoken to enough advocates who they say they can't get by. And I said, well, how have you met your boss? And they say, well, every time I try and ask them a question, they always say no, or they don't have time for me. Well, how did you ask it? Well, in passing in, in a hallway on the way to a meeting, well, or you just message them on Teams or Slack or something like that. Hey, can I get some five minutes of your time? No. Book time with them. Put some time in their calendar. That's important. Uh, Kristen, you're saying cost and time. Those are huge. Those are huge. Stakeholders are responsible for their costs. Stakeholders are responsible for a budget and they have to spend that budget wisely. That's their, that's their key performance indicator. You know, were they able to keep projects uh on time on budget? So how do we help them? How do we help them keep a project on time and on budget? Well, I think that we need to learn a little bit. First off, how do we uh, approach a project mindset? And then secondly, how do we show them that this can be done at a, in a cost-effective way? If your boss comes and tells you that you know it's going to cost too much to do something like this, then that, that's what they want to hear. They want to hear, how do I make this cost-effective? And that's our work to do. That's our work to do as consultants. And that may not be part of the job description as a senior UX specialist. I get that but that's another skill to learn. A stakeholder doesn't specifically know accessibility. They don't wanna feel dumb. They don't wanna feel stupid. They don't wanna feel like, oh, I don't know anything about that. So I'm just gonna brush it off. I would say that most people do that. Most people brush it off because they don't wanna feel uncomfortable. They don't wanna feel stupid and they don't wanna look like they don't know something. That's a human thing, right? Especially when you move up ranks in an organization, you're gonna be speaking to power. You're in an authority role. You're, you're, you own the responsibility of, of you know 200 people. And then one person comes and throws something at you that you don't have an answer for. It's human to just say, ah, let me brush that off. It's not important to me. It's not relevant to me. So what I like to think about it in my mind is like a progress bar, like a timeline. I'm all the way over here. Oh, I'm all the way over here. And I know a lot about accessibility. I have passion and I care about this topic. And there's a huge gap between both of us in knowledge, in skills, and sometimes experience. So how do we bridge that gap? The problem isn't that they don't know about accessibility. The problem is that the gap between my knowledge and their knowledge is too wide. So my task is also to bridge that gap. It's not to convince them to pay for this project. It's to bridge that gap. We have to bring them over to our side. And I would say meeting people where they are and their knowledge that we don't do enough work digging for that. One of my favorite questions, my absolute favorite question to ask a stakeholder, what is your personal story about disability? I need to understand their why. Before I can sell them accessibility, before I can convince somebody to care about accessibility, I need to understand why it matters to them. And it may matter to some people that it's it's uh, it's an extra expenditure that I need to pay for. Yeah, then it's then I can cater my conversation to that. To other people, it may be my son has a sight impairment and he's never going to be able to drive amazing. How do I make that message relevant to him? I can make that really, really personal. Let's talk about some tactics here. Speaking about outcomes, ROI stats and impacts helps with the buy-in. Absolutely. This will require a new set of skills above just testing, review, coding and coding skills, and she loves doing it. The skills that we need to learn in the world of advocacy goes beyond just our technical skills just beyond our UX or our coding or our design skills. And that's, it's good to learn things like that. It's good to learn. I've had more success speaking to leaders or stakeholders or decision makers when I can go up to their level because that's the language that they're using. That's the language that they're using. Understanding that gap is so important. And that's why I start with why. I'm gonna tell a quick, uh, quick story here. Back when I was at IBM, one of these senior partners had that son. His son was blind. And I could always count on him for support. I could always count on him for support. And now even if a project, it wasn't directly related to him, if I needed someone to pull some weight in a, in, a, in a meeting, if I needed someone to back me, the fact that I had a conversation with him and he knew I was the accessibility guy and I knew he had a relationship with somebody with a disability, he knew that I was in his corner and I knew he was in mine. I could always rely on him for, as an ally, on a project that was like, "Ah, you know, accessibility, maybe we don't care about that. It's not really relevant. Find your allies. You gotta go out and find your allies in the organization because they're the ones who, when you need the help, when you need somebody to come throw their weight around, when you need more than a single person, you, to champion accessibility, you've got your people. You've got your people. You got to go out there and find your allies. Yes, and ERG groups and BRG groups are out there for large organizations. But I'm talking about if you're a team of 100, 200, 300, you got to ask the why questions. You got to ask the why. Kristen, talk about this. How to encourage HR to move away from if they need accommodations, they can just ask for them model towards a more universally inclusive model. How do we approach this question in a way that's, has more perspective has a longer distance when i go and speak with hr departments and i have a couple times when i go and consult or build an accessibility program for a team they've already done the work to care that we know that this model does not work we know that the model of i don't know how many people who who we have with disabilities therefore we're not going to action um we're not going to put any work towards this or You know, I'll let people speak up or our managers. This is a good one. You know, when our managers come and say that they have a a team member who has um, a, a disability, then we'll change our policies. I think this issue comes from the fact that many people in the organization, they don't even know that disabilities exist. They're ignorant, simply ignorant towards the fact that even disabilities are out there. And I think a lot of the work for this has to happen at the manager level. People who are people leaders don't even know how to speak to their teams who have disabilities. And I think that's where the work has to start in the world of safe spaces and creating good spaces, inviting people to the table, opening up those conversations. I've seen this happen. When the conversation starts to happen around accepting people of any ability inside an organization, that's when the change happens inside the organization. When people no longer feel afraid to say that, hi boss, I have ADHD and I work much better like this hi boss i have a child who has a disability and i need to come into work at 9 30 instead of 9. i promise i'll leave at 9 at 5 30. and when those conversations can start to happen that's when more people feel safe enough to divulge and share information like this that's where i think this has to happen there's not a quick answer to you know if they need accommodations like how do we just resolve this in one shot and that's the That's the sticking point with accessibility. That's a sticking point with advocacy. There's rarely a quick answer. I think we're treated to that in the world of technology. Oh, you you know, what do you need that? You have a carousel? Don't use a carousel. Use something else. Here's here's an alternative. But in the more workplace transformation style of conversations, that is a long-term goal. And we need to accept that it's a long-term goal. And I think that will serve a lot better. When we can start to think of this is a long-term goal, this is a, a conversation that we can have multiple times, I would say put a plan forward hey, this is where we are now, and this is where we want to go. Let's, get, let's create a workshop. Create a workshop to get buy-in from people who are interested in HR. There's not an HR person out there who doesn't realize that diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is a hot topic in the world of, of HR right now. How do we transform our workplace to a new way of work, remote working, hybrid working? And yes, I understand there's lots of organizations out there who are bringing their teams back, but then there's a lot of organizations out there as well who are looking to the future and saying, How do we make a a workplace where we can keep qualified talent? Again, I think starting with why as well, though. Why does this matter to you? How do we fight these overlay companies that seem to be proliferating? I don't think anyone has an answer to this yet. Overlays are a symptom of an underlying reason. And if the underlying reason, which is our technology, is made in a way that is opinionated and difficult to understand sometimes people are still going to buy it and unfortunately they have the marketing teams to back them and that's something that a lot of organizations don't have how do you combat a sales engine so i think the only way to do it is to deeply ingrain ourselves into organizations so that just before somebody decides to purchase it because it's rare that it's rare that somebody is just going to purchase a tool out of the blue out of nowhere If you are deeply integrated inside an organization, if you are seen as someone that is required as part of a conversation or is uh, relevant or is essential to a conversation around accessibility, then they will call you first. It's happened to me three times in organizations. Hey Cam, we heard about this overlay. Do you recommend it? It seems like it would really speed up our process. And of course my big answer is, whoa, let's hold on before we do anything. Let's have a conversation first about the implications of you making that decision. Being essential will make sure that they call you first. And whether that's being essential online, I've had two people message me as well, randomly out of the blue on LinkedIn saying, Cam, can I ask your advice? And then they ask me about overlays or they ask me about other accessibility issues. Being available and approachable online is so incredibly relevant and is so incredibly important. But that's a great question. And there's not one that has a straight answer once again as well. Everyone will have a disability due to the aging process. We might lose some abilities, sight, hearing, touch. Let's create a more inclusive and accessible world. Our future selves will be grateful for that decision. I love using this argument. And I'd really recommend writing down a few arguments that you can always pull out uh, and, and use as well. I think, Flora, you and I were discussing this recently about there's the same arguments keep coming up again and again and again in discussions and we get tired of using them but man do they ever land one in seven people have a disability yes that's a very good argument to have but how do you make that relevant towards somebody because one in seven people is in the billions right that's not relevant like i can't quantify a billion people my tip for that is what i can do is i can go on linkedin i can go and look at the number of employees in an organization and i can apply that same math i can apply that same math to the number of employees in the company. I have had successful conversations where I said, hey, you have 380 people inside your organization, which means that 72 people have a disability, whether you know it or not. How are you helping those other employees? And then you sit and you wait for their answer because that all of a sudden is uncomfortable and they may not have that answer. And that's a good thing to put people in that position. And it's okay. It's okay to put people in that, that position. You're not going to be fired because you have an uncomfortable conversation. You have to let them sit and wait. That's a tactic. You got to wait in, until they, they respond in a, I don't know, well, why does that matter to you? Do you think that would matter to you if you were in that position? Yes, yes, you can get that answer from them. Yes, you can ask those questions. And no, no one's going to let you go for that. And, and that's a hard discussion because I have people on my, on my list right now who have responded to me saying that I was just let go because of, my disability. And that's hard. But I promise you, these conversations are important and we have to have them because you may not even know, you may not even know that somebody on your team or inside your organization has. And I've heard stories of people bringing up this topic and making it super relevant. And then some senior executive admits finally in a group call, don't start with this in a group call, but further on in the conversation in a group call admits that they have dyslexia and they put in hours of work after their nine to five. To make a presentation relevant and make a presentation readable for themselves which of course makes it readable for everyone else one takeaway to remember we have to remember to be bold we have to remember to be bold we have to remember that we ourselves as advocates as specialists as consultants as champions whatever you want to call yourself the space that we occupy we deserve to be here as well an organization who has who is paying you to be in that space right i know lots of people who would take on accessibility as their side gig well your your company is paying you to do that whether you think think of it or not they're paying you to be that thorn in their side to remind them to do good to be better go grab their your dei policy off the website and point back to it and say hey hey our dei policy says that we're an inclusive company here how can we bring that conversation forward in the next all hands meeting. Because this reality, this reality that I printed out, disability is still cool. We did our best and it worked. Us as advocates, by us doing our best, we'll change the world. We'll absolutely change the world. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you going to go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today. Hi at And let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like, and subscribe to this show. It really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.